is great. It is awesome hearing you guys connect and talk with one another. Uh, you know, in a, in a big church, it can be sometimes difficult to care for all the needs of people and to kind of highlight the needs in the church. But when you're a coastline-sized church, we can do this a little bit more easily. And so I wanted to actually start off by having us pray for a minute for Carl Kelly. Now, you know Joyce over here. Joyce and Carl have been with us from the very beginning, have been probably some of the chief encouragers of the staff. And if, if you've gotten a chance to know them, they are just have been such a gift to us. Uh, Carl had a fall last week and has had a hard time getting out of the hospital since he went in. He's been in now for about a week. And so uh, we love them. We love Carl. We miss Carl. We figured it's just time for us to pray for him. So uh, before we do anything, yeah, Michael. Yes, so if you don't know Albert, uh, Albert's last name? Irwin. Albert Irwin uh, is kind of the uh, tech director here of uh, St. Andrews, and he went into the hospital with COVID about two weeks ago, probably. Has been on a ventilator now for over a week. It's pretty dire for him as well. So uh, we got people to pray for. I just figured that's something that we should do here before we do anything else. So would you bow your heads? Lord, uh, we are so grateful for the Kellys, and Lord, we are so burdened for Carl, Lord, knowing that uh, I am sure he is frustrated. I'm sure he is tired of being in the hospital. I'm sure Joyce misses him. Uh, Lord, and I'm sure they're at the spot, Lord, where he's been in the hospital long enough that it's gone from being a nuisance to being a real worry and concern. And so God, be close. Um, and Lord, would you heal? And Lord, would you help him to rally? And Lord, would you give the doctors wisdom and insight to see what is happening? And God, would you give him renewed strength, Lord, for his legs to be able to get out of bed, get into the wheelchair to get home? Uh, and Lord, we just, I really believe we heal so much faster sometimes at home than when we're stuck in a, in a new place. So God, would you find a way to bring him home here uh, soon in the next couple days? And God, bring healing to his body. And Lord, we pray for Albert as well. Lord, with, without Albert, we would have been so lost in this building. We would have not have known what to do. And Lord, he is in a dire situation. God, we pray that his, he'd be able to decrease his dependency on oxygen, that he'd begin to turn in his fight with COVID. Uh, Lord, I want to ask you to make us even more vigilant after having seen his story. Lord, that you'd remind us of the need to care and love for one another well. Um, and Lord, to not be familiar with COVID, but to be bringing it before you again. And Lord, asking for an end to the season and for healing and for a transition for our whole world. Lord, we love you. We're so honored that we get to be here as a family in this incredible building to hold your word and to get to experience the fellowship of believers. God, would you be with us and speak today? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. That was great. So uh, last December, I decided I'm going to spend some time investing in me. I thought uh, it is time for me to begin to work on some of my leadership skills and some of my skill sets. I thought uh, there's this whole new thing called Coastline that we're going to be starting, and I want to be the best version of myself before I start that. And so I thought, rather than just reading a book or two on leadership, what if I could read 40 or 50 books on leadership? That became my drive, and I knew that there would be no way that I could do that simply by sitting down and reading. It would take too much time. And so what I did was I subscribed to this app called Blinkist. And what Blinkist does is it takes a whole book and it shrinks it down into a 15-minute podcast. It says, these are the essentials you need to know about what this book is about. And they have everything from Lencioni to Jim Collins to Stephen Covey. Every sort of book that you could imagine on leadership or on your self-development, they have it shrunk down into the parts that you just simply need to hear because most books only have a few points that you need to pay attention to. Uh, anyways, and so instead of spending two or three weeks reading a book, I read 45 books in a month. Technically, I listened 
to 45 books in a month. Spending time just simply listening to them, I could do three, four in a day, just powering it down, convincing I was going to microwave my leadership skills. That when you came and saw me, I was going to be this dramatically different guy due to the, all these incredible skills and character development that was going to happen from listening to these podcasts. What I found at the end of a month and 45 books was that I was remarkably the same. <laughs> that it didn't matter how much information I shoved into my brain, somehow when I came out and led, I was still leading in the same sorts of ways. And what I really found is that if you take every leadership book and you put it into 15 minutes and you, if you listen to it all in one month, they all say more or less the same thing. They essentially do. Every one of them can essentially be reduced down to about five points. That people do not achieve their dreams and desires because of fear. The truly successful person is the person who learns to conquer their fears. Successful people set goals and relentlessly drive to achieve them. When they fail, successful people are gracious towards themselves and continue on in the path of growth and learning. And if you do all this, then you can be rich and skinny and successful and do it all. That's all it takes. Just don't be afraid and set goals and go after them and deal with failure and you're going to make it. That's what every one of them said. What I found for myself is that these things were incredibly unhelpful to actually being the sort of leader that I really wanted to be because real growth and real change oftentimes doesn't simply happen just by sitting down and listening to a book or listening to a podcast. It has to be embodied in a way. You have to live with it, reading about it, and shoving the information in your head. It's not enough to really, truly change you at the deepest levels. I needed something to do to partner with the reading if I was really going to change. And more than that, I found that there were things inside of me that were resistant towards change and growth altogether. That were things inside of me that were resistant towards maturity and becoming the person I wanted to be. There was times that despite listening to helpful tips on how to live and lead, at times I intentionally or accidentally went directly against that and did the things that I was familiar with or had done in the past. Sometimes I tried to move past fear and I couldn't. The fear was just too powerful and though I wanted to take a step, I ultimately didn't. Or that I set goals that were either too easily achieved or were too hard to achieve. And then maybe sometimes I wasn't pushing myself hard enough or I was too gracious to myself. And although I had this intention of investing in myself, by the end of the time I was overwhelmingly discouraged with myself. I didn't really know how I was supposed to become the leader that I wanted to be or the pastor that I wanted to be for Coastline. I was trying to make it happen, but I couldn't do it. And the biggest obstacle was oftentimes myself. And I, let's, let's make this more practical, right? Because this isn't just about me confessing my sins to you. This is about how hard it is for all of us to really change and to really grow. And it doesn't matter if you're doing it with health, you're trying to be, eat healthy, and you manage to eat a healthy breakfast and a healthy snack and a healthy lunch. Maybe you even make it to a healthy dinner, but then it's ice cream at night. 
So you could make all of these series of good decisions, but then you blow it once. And you could do it for four good days, but on the fifth day you fall off the wagon. You see, we can have good days and good runs, but oftentimes we are our worst enemies. Or you decide that you're going to set better boundaries at work until a crisis hits. And suddenly you feel like you have to be compelled to blow past those boundaries in order to do your job well. Although you had the best of intentions, you weren't able to be consistent when it truly mattered. Or maybe you're committed to getting yourself out of debt, and you do, but it doesn't take you long before you spend your way back in. And then you climb out of that hole, and then you spend your way back in. And then you climb out of that hole, and you wish that you could be more disciplined, but you find that you just keep buying, you just keep spending, you just keep eating out. What is it about us that sabotages ourselves from being the people that we really want to be? And is there a way to really change in a way that is lasting, in a way that can outlive our own efforts, a way that can outlive our own attempts to self-sabotage ourselves? Is there a way that we could actually grow and mature, that we could actually lend our thoughts to, and we could actually help ourselves become the people we really want to be? You know, we're in a series on the book of Acts, and last week, Garrick took us into Peter's sermon on Pentecost, the beginning of it. Now, the thing about this passage is that this sermon, it is 40 verses long, so there's no way that Garrick can cover it, so he kind of covered the beginning portion of it. Not only does he give us a message about how we can change, he embodies a change, and this man that we're going to see is someone who is never going to be the same old Peter that he was. He's going to be somebody totally new due to what God has done in him. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 32. If you have your Bibles, if you have one in front of you, I would encourage you to grab it. It's always better if you can read it and follow along when it's actually physically in front of you. So Acts 2, verse 32, would you stand with me and I'll read. We're going to pick this up right in the middle of a thought. Peter's going to be speaking here. And so this is his voice that, that we're reading. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. He's been exalted to the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has, prom- and he has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all of those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is God's word for us. You can be seated. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, Peter had been one of the most vibrant and one of the most vivid followers after Jesus. We have so many stories about who he is, and we have a full picture of him as a person. Uh, He has this profound faith that truly believes in Jesus. He has this desperate desire to give his life to him and to make his life count in what Jesus is going to do. He wants everybody to know the Jesus that he has come to experience. And there is nothing in his life that he would not give to Jesus if Jesus would not ask him for it. And yet he is also a man who frequently uh, overestimates his own ability 
is overly confident about his own opinion when in fact he is oftentimes wrong, uh, makes bold efforts that he cannot follow through on and he collapses under the weight of. And so he has both this mixture of good and bad. He is you and I. He is completely human. You can imagine him being the sort of person that you would have in your life group or in your family or in your church. He is incredibly tangible. And what Peter truly wants to do, and what he wants Jesus to do, is he wants Jesus to take the step forward in ministry. And he's constantly frustrated by the fact that Jesus seems to have a different agenda. Let me say that again. What Peter really wants is for Jesus to begin to fast forward his ministry, to do more, try more, speak more, do more miracles. He wants everybody to see and understand who Jesus is. And Jesus seems to have this different agenda Altogether, and specifically, we see this when it comes to the cross. In Mark 137, uh, Jesus is experiencing this huge swell of people. It's one of the biggest crowds he ever speaks to. And instead of staying with them, Jesus pulls away and goes and spends some time in prayer. And Peter actually comes and confronts Jesus and says, What are you doing? Where did you go? Why did you leave? Everybody's looking for you. It says that he shouts at Jesus, and Jesus, No, that's not what I want, Peter. You want me to stay here and do ministry this way, but I'm going across the lake. I'm going somewhere else now. Ministry is going to look different than the way you want. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus talks about the fact that he is headed towards the cross. And Peter actually pulls him aside and rebukes him and says, you can't speak that way. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Uh, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. He, he basically says, Peter, you are tempting me exactly the way that Satan is tempting me. And you are doing his work, not my work. And he says, you need to get behind me. He says, essentially, you need to get out of my way. It's such a strong statement where he says, literally, like, this conversation can't go on any longer, Peter. You have to move out of the way because what you're saying is, in fact, the opposite of what I'm called to do. And probably given Gethsemane, it's part of something that he, he feared as well. Peter was actually going the exact opposite direction. In John 13, 36, Jesus says that he's going to actually go to the cross now. And Peter insists, no, then I will go with you. And Jesus says, Peter, you're not even going to make it through the night. And Peter says, I will die before I deny you. You see, we have all these moments of Jesus and Peter actually ending up in, in almost like a conflict, certainly tension, where they want different things, and they see the ministry of Jesus needing to go in different ways. And what's so fascinating about that is as much as Peter has been on a different page than Jesus for most of their relationship, when we see his words here in Acts 2, he is a completely different person. Peter had been a lifelong fisherman. That had been where he had spent his trade. That is likely what his father had done. In fact, we know that's what his father had done. He had spent his entire life moving towards that, but now he is here as this gifted public speaker, giving this profound message. Peter has an incredible grasp of the Old Testament in this sermon. In fact, he's going to quote the Old Testament literally from his memory three different times. He's going to quote Joel 2 and Psalm 16 and Psalm 100. And the Peter who had fought against Jesus' plan and had wanted something different, it is now as if he sees the entire thing. He understands exactly what Jesus was doing. He understood why Jesus had to suffer. And he's able to communicate it to these people in this powerful, compelling way. And he suddenly gets it. You see this man who has been changed by his encounter with Jesus. It is as if 
Peter had known what it was like to miss out on who Jesus was, and he is now committed that nobody else should do that. He wants to make sure that nobody else makes the same mistakes that he did. And as he preaches this message, what's phenomenal is it's not only that Peter is changed in the telling of it, we see this totally different Peter, but we also see this totally different response from the crowd. Now, we know that this is the Pentecost sermon. Penta means 50, uh, if you forgot about your uh, basic math terminologies. What Pentecost is, it's a celebration of 50 days after Passover. It's a celebration of the giving of the law, the Torah. And so everybody had been in Israel for Passover, right? And so they had come there. That was the day Jesus was crucified. 50 days later, they came back to Israel to celebrate Pentecost. It is a very quick sequence of Jewish holidays that are happening here. So people had been there for Passover. Jesus had died. He rose from the dead. They went home. They come back for Pentecost, and now the Spirit comes, and this is when Peter is speaking. Now, when they had last been there for Passover, they had proclaimed Jesus the Messiah when he came in on Palm Sunday. When they lay down their palm branches, they are proclaiming him Messiah. They believe in this moment that he's going to go overthrow Rome, but he doesn't. Instead, it says that he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple. He essentially fights the wrong people. He goes after the Jewish religious establishment. He doesn't go after the Romans. And for that, he loses the support of all the people. Everybody who laid a palm branch down now is massively disappointed with Jesus. That is not who he was supposed to go after. And so they eventually ask for him to be crucified when he goes on trial. They would rather Barabbas, a murderer, be given back to them than Jesus who had betrayed them. And they ask for Jesus to be crucified, and he is. But once Peter begins to explain to them that that man who they put to death was actually the Messiah, that he rose from the dead, now we see this totally different side of the crowd. These people who had once chanted, crucify him, crucify him, now it says that they are cut to the heart. They grieve and they look at each other and say, what shall we do? Peter is profoundly different, and the crowd is profoundly different. What is it that has changed both of them? What is it that causes both of them to respond in different ways than we have seen from them so far? The answer, of course, if you know your Bible, is that the Holy Spirit has come. And since the Holy Spirit has come, it has already begun this work in changing both Peter and crowd. Now, Jesus had told Peter that the Holy Spirit would come. And he said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to baptize you in his, the presence of God, that you are going to be covered in God's presence. And he says that the ministry of the Spirit is going to be greater than the ministry of the Son, that what is going to happen in this new era will be greater than anything that they ever saw with Jesus. He says, essentially, if you think that what you saw from me was impressive, wait until what you see when the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit comes, it changes the lives of Peter and of the crowd. The Holy Spirit, first and foremost, helps them understand the ways and the plans of God. The Holy Spirit helps them understand the ways and the plans of God. When, when Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come, he said this out of John 14, 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I mean, Peter didn't understand the ways of Jesus. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing. He did not understand why Jesus would need to go to the cross. But once the Holy Spirit comes, now he suddenly understands because the Holy Spirit has taught him 
all things and has reminded him of everything that Jesus has said. How can Peter accept what he once rejected by the power of the Holy Spirit? How can the crowd be convicted? Well, last time they were angry. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working on their minds and removing the things that once blinded them and finally giving them the eyes to truly see. It is as if the Holy Spirit is acting from the outside as this external force to change who they are and to bring about the change that they could never bring in and of themselves. This isn't that simply Peter took the last 50 days to really study. This isn't as if this is this dramatically different group of people who left 50 days ago and came back. It is that the Holy Spirit has acted upon them from the outside in to change their minds so that they can actually see, know, and understand who Jesus is and what his ministry is. And it's not just that he changes their minds. It's not just here. But then the Holy Spirit begins to work on their wills so they can actually begin to follow him. It's not just that they need to learn how to think differently. They also need the Holy Spirit to change their will so they can actually do what they want to do up here. It could actually come out here. This is what Jesus says in John 16, 13. He says that when he, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. So he is not simply going to be someone who's going to teach us up here. He's going to lead us. He's going to walk in front of us. He's going to take us by the hand and help us journey where Jesus is. He's going to help us learn to walk in his steps. He's going to help us learn to be like him. He's not going to transform our minds, but he's going to join us in this journey so that we have a Holy Spirit-empowered mind and flesh so we can begin to do what God wants us to do. This this is hugely important. This day, it says that 3,000 people came to faith. This day, 3,000 people came to believe in Jesus. How did that happen? Friends, let me tell you, it was not the preaching of Peter as great as it was. Because again, Peter can be compelling as he wants, but in the end, Peter cannot change the way someone thinks. And Peter cannot speak and change someone's heart. I mean, I can tell you, I have tried endlessly to reason with people who don't know Jesus about him. And it does not matter the arguments you present, it can hit deaf ears. It doesn't matter how much someone might be in crisis and recognize that they have need, that ultimately if God does not move in their hearts, they still will turn back to their own solutions than to God. You see, ultimately for anybody to come to know Jesus, it takes the Spirit acting on heart and flesh to lead them. This moment that's happening here at Pentecost, these 3,000 people, yes, Peter is preaching, but it is all the Holy Spirit's work who's moving above and beyond and through Peter to draw them. It is involving Peter, but it is the Spirit's work who's doing it. And so Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, he just doesn't tell us the truth, but he empowers us to actually be able to do it. And because of the love of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, Peter and the crowd is changed. That, I was trying to think of how I could communicate what the power of sin has, has done to us. The biggest thing you need to know is that you are not who God intended for you to be. You are a damaged version of what he always planned. You know, Peter had been given all of these characteristics and strengths, this boldness, brashness, courage, but it always got almost twisted in on itself because there was something broken inside of Peter that is broken inside of every one of us. 
that sin had taken this design that God had for Peter and it twisted it, almost like if you took a can and crunched it down. That although it's still a can and it could still hold liquid and though it could maybe still stand up straight, it is damaged from just this force that has acted upon it of me twisting it or stepping on it. And that is what sin has done to us. It has twisted us in our hearts and has taken these things that would perhaps be strengths that have made them to huge liabilities and weaknesses. That is the external force of sin that has happened to our lives. And that is what has happened to Peter. Peter is not who God intended, nor are you and I. We are now these broken, damaged versions of this masterpiece that God had hoped to create. And when the Spirit comes on Peter, suddenly it is as if the Spirit begins to undo the damage of the creasing of the can, undoes the whole thing, begins to twist it back until now Peter is becoming this person that God has always intended. The person that we see here preaching is the Peter that Jesus had always wanted him to be, had created him to be, but sin had marred. You see, a supernatural problem of sin needed a supernatural solution for it to be solved. It could never be up to Peter himself to solve the problem of sin in his life. He needs a supernatural action to undo the supernatural cause of sin. And what Jesus is doing here through the power of the Spirit is we begin to see Peter becoming who God always intended for him to be. Now let's talk about how you and I can do that ourselves. If you are anything like me, chances are that you spend a lot of time pretty frustrated with yourself and with the things that you end up doing, the things that you end up saying, the things that you don't do, the things that you won't say, and the overall kind of chaos that you kind of live and breathe in every day. You know, we find that... uh, We're just not the person that we want to be. And we experience it in all sorts of ways. Maybe there was a job that you got fired for because you just never put the effort into it and you don't know why, why you didn't. You don't know why you made the decisions that you did or the relationships that you had and it blew the whole thing up. When you look back on it now, you just have a profound sense of regret. You know that you need to control your temper. You would love to, but at the end of the day, it's just hard to and you see the damage coming out in your relationships with your kids. And you think you're doing all this for the sake of your kids, but yet somehow you are still undoing whatever you might want to do? You try to bring that back, but in the tiredness you just struggle to? You say things that you regret? You spend a lot of time getting yourself out of addiction into a place of sobriety, and as soon as you kind of got yourself set and you thought you were settled, you slipped back into addiction, and you find yourself being okay with addiction because of the victories that you had for a while, You try to climb back out, but you keep sliding back in. You know, you have this life that's pretty well-ordered, but boy, you're bad in relationships. Boy, you seem to blow up every one of them. Even when you think it would have a chance and it should work, there's every reason for it to work, you just keep blowing it up, and you don't know why you're doing that. You're not sure exactly what's happening deeper and deeper. We live these lives of these kind of hopes of who we'd want to be, but when we actually pause and look at ourselves, we can be frustrated with what we're actually doing. Tim Keller has this great quote. He says this, It should not shock us to hear that, uh, that we oftentimes miss God's own righteous standards. It should not shock us because far too often we don't even meet our own. It should not shock us. 
that we are sinful or that we cannot be all that God had created us to be. That shouldn't shock us because we just live with that every day. We are not who we want to be, little less who God would want us to be. When uh, the Apostle Paul was writing about this, he says this, uh, Romans 7, 15, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, that's what I do. He says in Romans 7, 21, I, I want to do good. But when I try to do good, well, then evil is right there beside me. And if the solution is ultimately just me trying to fix myself, well, that's just going to be a, a fruitless journey. You know, I spent uh, most of the last year and a half in therapy, which was an incredible gift. Man, it absolutely changed my life. But here's the, the tough part about therapy. The first part is you find out what's wrong with yourself, which, which is helpful, which is helpful. But then you got to go change it, which is a lot harder than just finding out what's wrong with you, you know? It's... Once you become aware of it, well, then now i got to change it. And that changing is hard. You're just like, well, then I did it again. I did it again. You become more aware of your flaws through therapy than, than actually solving them sometimes. It takes more work and deeper work. And if ultimately if the work is up to me or somebody else to solve it, I don't think that I can. Supernatural problems need a supernatural solution. We don't have it inside of us to change the pattern of sin in our lives. We can't free ourselves from its grasp. We're going to be ever struggling with sin unless God acts on my life and brings an end to my own sabotage. This is why he says in Romans 7, 24, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death? That is the question. And the answer is this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a deliverance from the constant backsliding and the constant struggling and the constant not meeting your own expectations. There is a solution that comes and it comes through Jesus Christ. And he presents it exactly here to the people as they say it. They cry out to God and they say, what, what should we do, brothers, when they hear exactly what they've done? And the solution that Peter gives is brilliant. Let's look exactly at verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, and for all whom God will call. He gives them a real quick pathway about how you and I can begin to change and be the sort of person that God has intended us to be. And the first thing is to believe. That you and I have to believe that Jesus Christ is actually who he says he is, that he is the Son of God. And that you have gotten yourself into desperate, repeat trouble due to the power of sin. So much so that you had no chance of ever getting your way out. There's no way you could ever undo the patterns of sin in your life. There's no way you could undo the causes of sin that you have caused. That you were so trapped that you could not get out unless someone came and saved you. And that Jesus came. Not so that he could love you, but because he loved you. Despite all the messes you've made, despite all the mistakes you've continued to make, despite of how stuck you are, and despite of how broken you are on the inside and how you break other people with your brokenness, he loves you and came to us to come and live and die and ultimately rise in our place. He says this, that if you're going to believe, once you come to believe who Jesus really is who he says he is, then you also have to believe that you are who he says you are. You're in desperate need. He is the son of God and you are in desperate need of saving by him. And once we realize that, once we're willing to believe that, he says then, repent. That's the next thing he says you do here, repent. 
We need to turn from living lives our way, by our standards, with our clear direction, the way that we want to. He says you've got to quit living that way. Ultimately, you have to bring your life in alignment to your beliefs. That it wouldn't make any sense to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you are stuck in your own sin and then continue to live your life the way you always have and not give him rule and reign there. He says that repentance means that we stop living lives our way and we stop pursuing sins and we start bringing it back underneath the rule and the reign of Jesus. There is no such thing as a faith that believes but never repents. There is no such thing as a faith that believes Jesus is the Son of God and then continues to live and do whatever it wants. They move in opposite directions. There is no way for them to arrive at the same place. And he says, you have to believe and repent. But then he says something great, which we get to celebrate tonight. He says, you need to be baptized. Baptism is the symbol of what God has done for us. It is a symbol both as you go into the water and come out of the washing he does, of the removing of your sins, but also the transfer that you have made from death to life. And he says, you need to be baptized, not just for your sake. It doesn't do anything for you, but it cements you before everyone else as being a member of God's family. That you are now someone who is proclaiming publicly what God has done for you. And he says this, if you will believe, and if you will repent, and if you will be baptized, it says this, then God will forgive. That he will come, and he will begin to wash away that he will willingly forget the things that you've done. He will begin to cleanse you of all of those mistakes and all those ways that you have not measured up. He will come to undo that. He'll come to separate the creases and restore you and to make you into who he wanted to be. He's going to give you the Spirit of God. It says that he is going to put his Spirit upon you, and through that power of the Spirit, you're going to begin to change. That it's not simply going to be by your own effort, but by the power of God working in you that you're going to begin to change, sometimes really quickly. I mean, it's only been 50 days here, and we see a dramatically different Peter. There will be changes that will happen in your life quickly when the Spirit of God comes close. But there's going to be other changes. It's going to be a long, slow, steady journey of God undoing knots that you have cinched down as tight as you can. And slowly undoing them in your heart and in your soul, working on them, sometimes even for the rest of your life. Slowly loosening them up, but still bringing about that change in there. And that process of knowing that you were loved, of experiencing God's profound forgiveness, of the Holy Spirit acting upon you, that is the process of transformation where slowly and quickly you begin to become the you that he always wanted you to be, and also the you that you want to be. I mean, I think we've all seen just where we can take our lives if we do it on our own. I know that you know a story, or you have found yourself in a place of some level of bankruptcy, emotional bankruptcy, financial bankruptcy, relational bankruptcy, spiritual bankruptcy, where you have bent, spent, that you have ruined things around you until you have nothing left. And ultimately, that is what every one of us will do at different places in our life when we do things according to our flesh instead of the Spirit. I mean, what are you really fighting for? To ruin more things? To light more things on fire in your life? Haven't you seen where it goes? Isn't it time to begin to let Jesus come along and make this change? You know, the first sermon that he gives here is full of this incredible promise and hope 
that there is nothing that anybody could do to undo the mission and the love of Jesus. He says that Jesus came, lived, ministered, and was killed. And you know what? Even when they killed him, it couldn't undo this thing that he had done. That even when they killed him, God raised him because there is never any stopping God's mission and love for you. That is the message of Pentecost, that there is no stopping God's mission and love. And if that is true, if we know that there's no stopping God's mission and love, that means that not even you can stop God's desire to change you. That there is no sort of hurdle or obstacle, there is no trench that you can dig so deep in your own soul that God cannot come and fill and heal. Because there's nothing that you can do to stop his desire to transform you if you give him into your hands. That there's no way you could have ruined your life so much that he could not come and restore and rebuild. It's the very reason why he came. It's the whole hope of the resurrection. That not even death can undo this thing that God has done. Tonight we get to celebrate with some people who are going to be getting baptized in proclamation of what God has done for them. And it kind of gives us this chance to make this journey. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. After we sing a song, we're going to go walk down uh, to the beach, and we're going to watch them be baptized. It gives us a chance to kind of consider again. God, where in my life do I need you to come and bring some transformation? Where in my life is there ashes? Where in my life is there simply a broken foundation? God, where in my life do I need to be rebuilt? Where do I need real transformation? I mean, that's a question for us as Christians, as, as non-Christians. Where in my life are the broken places? But, but then the question is, what are you going to do about it? I think ultimately we know that if you're going to be the solution to your problem, you're the problem already. You can't solve it yourself. There's a chance to come to Jesus with all of your mess and to give it to him and allow him to, to heal and to change. That's a chance for some of you to Give your life to Jesus for the first time tonight. And for some of you, this is what you believe. It's what you know, but you haven't taken that final step. It's, it's something Jesus asked for us. He says, repent, believe, repent, and be baptized. Look, we've got three people tonight who are going to be baptized. It's going to be incredible. But that doesn't mean it has to only be three. I mean, the worst thing that happens to you today is you go home with wet clothes. That is not that bad of a deal to come and walk in the fellowship of Jesus. And so I want to invite you that if you're not sure, it's good. You've got to walk down to the beach with us to think about it and pray about it. But let's pray. Let's get ready to worship and, and consider again the invitation that God has given us. Let Lord, Lord, we have this idea in our minds that the gods are angry. The gods come and bring judgment. The gods stand at a distance from humanity. The gods expect offerings. The gods want to see us hurt for them. Or that the gods think that as humans are nothing, not even worthy of paying their attention to. But God, the story of the gospel is that, Lord, you came out of love for us, that you came and sacrificed so that you could heal us. And that, God, right now, the brokenness that we experience is always tied to the sin that you've already forgiven and that you want to heal. That this broken version of ourselves doesn't have to be the end of the story. That you want to work and rebuild and renew. Lord, for some people, they have wrecked their lives. And Lord, for other people, Lord, they have had their lives wrecked by people. And either way, there's newness and healing in you. We can walk out if you're different. And not just in a momentary difference, but in this continued presence of your spirit changing us. God, we want to be changed by you. 
We want to be healed. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to be renewed and made whole. And Lord, the best part about that is that that's what you want to. And so Lord, tonight would you align our desire and your grace and would you change and heal your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus.